Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? And let me just talk to you for a second. We're on the sixth church today in our series, Love Letters to the Churches. We look at six churches. We've seen that Jesus knows everything about every one of them. He knows all there is to know. God never says, well, I'll be. He's never surprised. He read their mail. As a matter of fact, what he wrote or what he spoke to and told John to write down about every one of these churches, he's reading their mail. He says about every one of them, I know. I know. I'm not wondering, I'm not inquiring, I'm not investigating. I already know. I know all about you. I know your needs, your strengths, your weaknesses, your ups, your downs, how the devil's attacking you, how you're handling it. I know. I know all there is to know. And today we're going to look at the sixth one, the church in Philadelphia. The Greek would pronounce it this way, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, but I'm just going to call it Philadelphia. All right? But it's Philadelphia, the loving church. It's the sixth one. And let's look at what Jesus says to the Philadelphia church. In the book of Revelations 3, verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, now remember the angel is the church leadership. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. He who has the key of David. Key of David is he opens and closes doors. God's the way maker. He who opens, and when I open it, no one shuts it. And shuts, and when I shut it, no one's going to open it. I know, there's those two words, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For you have a little strength, you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and they're not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the whole earth. Verse 11, behold, I'm coming quickly. In light of that, you better hold fast what you have. That no one can take your crown. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't that strong? Isn't that good stuff? Thank you, Father, for your word. It's so precious. Lord, we're so thankful for the word of God. We cherish your word. This is your word. Now, Lord, open our eyes and understanding. Help us, Lord, to walk in the truth we're going to find in what you said to this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, perk up and listen, this is going to be good. Amen, amen. Now, we're looking at the the sixth church in the seven that Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation early on, chapters two and three. Before he gives us all the prophecy that follows, he first focuses on the church, his bride, 
his children, his people, you and me. And so far, let me give you a quick little recap. We've looked at Ephesus, the lacking church. Lacking because they'd lost their first love. Smyrna, the loyal church, they were loyal in spite of all kinds of trials and persecutions. Pergamos, the lax church, they had things going on in the congregation they should have been dealing with and they didn't. Thyatira, the loose church, because that woman Jezebel was in the church and immorality was running rampant. So we call it the loose church. And then Sardis, the lifeless church, they had a reputation for being alive and well, but actually Jesus says they're dead. Your reputation doesn't always line up with reality. You can have a reputation for one thing, but in God's eyes, it ain't true. Right? And you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool him. So, lacking church, loyal church, lax church, loose church, lifeless church. And today, the Philadelphia church is the loving church. The loving church. Uh, Now, when you look at what Jesus knew about these individual churches, again, I'm amazed at how well he knew everything about them. I've wondered, what if the Lord just came and stood right here? What would he say to Turning Point? Ask me if that puts the fear of God in me. Oh, yeah. I hope he would say, you've been faithful, stayed with my word and haven't denied my name. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. But he knew so much about all these churches. For instance, let me just show you something. He told the church in Ephesus, he knew their works. He told the church in Smyrna, he knew about their worries. He told the church in Pergamum that he knew their whereabouts. He told the church in Thyatira that he knew about that woman. He told the church in Sardis that he knew about their withering. They were dying on the vine. Almost everything in it was dead. And he tells the church in Philadelphia he knows about their weakness. They have a little strength. Yet though weak, and I I want you to really catch this, though they were weak, they were known as the loving church. They didn't let their weakness give them an excuse to drop out. They didn't let that little strength give them a reason to say, well, we can't this and we can't that because we just got a little bit of strength left. No, they took that little bit of strength and they carried it a mile. No matter how weak they felt, they kept on keeping on. They didn't put up the white flag, didn't quit, didn't look for excuses. Now I got to give you a little bit of history. The New Testament town of Philadelphia got its name from Adelis. Philadelphus, the king of Pergamos, and he died about B.C. 138. So little under a century and a half before Jesus arrived on earth, this city, this little town of Philadelphia was birthed and named. It means brotherly love. We know that because we've got our own Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It was built on high ground. It was 900 feet above sea level. Philadelphia was in the midst of a region that suffered earthquakes all the time. And it caused many of the surrounding towns to go into, well, everybody was leaving. Everybody was getting out of Dodge because there were so many earthquakes. But it didn't happen in Philadelphia because they were so high 
above sea level, and the soil was rich for the growing of grapevines. So whereas a lot of the other towns were depleted of population, it wasn't true of Philadelphia. In fact, of all the seven churches in the book of Revelation, it had the longest life of any Christian city. They had the longest life, Philadelphia. And next to Smyrna, Philadelphia had the greatest number of Christians. So they had a lot of believers in Philadelphia, Philadelphia. It was just 28 miles southeast of the church of Sardis. So watch this. Remember, Jesus came to John. He said, write down what I show you. And I'm sending letters to the churches. That's why we call them love letters to the churches. I'm going to send, I want you to send me what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to write, I want you to write it down and send messengers to carry these letters to the churches. Seven of them. So some messenger was picked. Can you imagine being that messenger and carrying this gold? And, and the messengers went out. And let's just say he goes to Sardis. He goes to Sardis and says, here's what Jesus gave John to give to you. You think you're alive, but you're actually dead. God bless you. See you later. And then he went 28 miles down the road, a day's journey, day and a half journey, and gave the next letter to Philadelphia. Gave them their letter. And that's the way it all went down. They all got these letters. They all got words from God. Individual words. Every one of them was different. Jesus knew them all. Every church was different. There was not two equal churches. They were all different. Philadelphia is one of the only two of the seven churches. There's two out of seven for which Jesus had no correction. He doesn't correct them. He gives them a great big attaboy. Amen. Now, I've got to give you a little more history because I like history, so I've got to give it to you whether you like it or not. Here's the thing. The American city named after this church, our American city, was founded in 1682 by William Penn, an English Quaker. So that means they quaked with the power of God. That's where Quaker came from. William Penn, an English Quaker and champion of religious freedom, founded our own Philadelphia and named it from this church. As a little aside, how important is our Philadelphia? It played a historic role as a central meeting place for the nation's founding fathers whose plans and actions in Philadelphia uh, ultimately inspired the American Revolution and the nation's independence following the Revolutionary War. They, they met together in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, that was named after this church. History lesson over. Let's move on. Now, as we'll see, the New Testament Church of Philadelphia lived up to its name as the loving church because they faithfully proclaimed the love of God even though they were limping, even though their strength was little. They still carried the love of God. They did not quit. They, they moved forward. They didn't let weakness stop them. Lack of resources stop them. Uh, limitations stopped them. They moved forward. Give me a little bit of strength. I'm going to use it for Jesus. As long as I can, I will. Now, 
I want to explore what we can. Just a couple of things about this church that I want to pull out for us today. First of all, I want you to notice that our Jesus is a Lord who opens doors of opportunity. He's a door opener. Now, he's also a door closer, but he's a door opener. He's a way maker. He makes a way where there is no way. He opens a door where there is no door. Doors are sent by God, open doors in answer to prayer. He, he is a, 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 a God who gives his people opportunity. Paul said, as we have opportunity, let us redeem the time. Paul said, he opened for me an effectual, mighty door of opportunity. When you hear about an open door, then you're talking about an opportunity, something that God wants you and I to step through, to walk through, to take advantage of. What good is a door if you don't go through it? He's, he's a door maker, a way maker. He opens doors. Jesus said, I know all things that you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Now we know that the open door that he made was a door of evangelism, a door, a, a door of opportunity to preach the gospel, a door of opportunity that had not always been there. We don't know what it was, but we do know that it was an opportunity. It was a door that, that, that confronted them, that they, that, that Jesus made available to them. And he said, now I want you to walk through it. You got a little bit of strength, but you have not denied my name. You have not walked away from my word. You've stood tall for my truth. So I'm going to open for you a door. And I want you to walk through it. Doors are for walking through. In a little while, we're going to dismiss this service and you're going to go through those doors. What good does it do? Oh, I see a door. Oh yeah, that's a door. Yep, that is a real door. I for sure see that door. What a beautiful door. Look at that door. It is really a handsome door. But what good does that door do if you don't turn the knob and walk through? Because they are doors of opportunity. God provides doors of opportunity. Divine doors. Doors that would never, ever open if he had not provided it. Impossible doors. Doors that make you look at them and say... Somebody pinch me. I can't believe this is real. Look at the door that God has opened. No man could have done this. No manipulation could have done this. No ladder climbing could have done this. God opened this door. You ever had a door like that? A door that just makes you look at it and laugh and say, I can't believe. Look what the Lord has done. Look at the door that he has opened up. Look at this opportunity. And Jesus assured them, let me tell you something, when I open a door, no man can shut it, no devil in hell can shut it, nothing can shut it. When I open a door, that door is open, and when I close a door, that door is closed. There's a lot of kinds of doors that God opens. Let me give you some examples. Uh, here's a big one. He opens a door for you to be saved. He opens a door for people to be saved. What a precious door that is. What a powerful door that is. Listen to me, everybody. He opens the door. He gives an opportunity. Somebody comes and shares Jesus with you. Or somebody invites you to an evangelistic campaign. Somebody invites you to come hear about the Lord. And all of a sudden, you're confronted with the door of salvation. There it is. God extends it. 
Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man opens the door, he can give you the door, but you've got to open the door. If any man opens the door, I will come into his life and fellowship with him and he with me. His life will be totally changed if he walks through that door. Whosoever will, let him come. He opens the door of salvation. And I'm going to expand on that in just a minute. Because of all the doors I'm going to talk about, that's probably the biggest one. Because there may not be 30 of them, or 10 of them, or 5 of them. There may be once when Christ brings before a sinner an open door. And says, here's my, my son, here's the gospel. Turn the knob, walk through, give your heart to Jesus. And your life is going to be changed. Open doors. When God sends a door and you go through it, you're never going to be the same. Your life is never going to be the same. When God gives you a door, it's a door that takes you into another level, another level of experience. It expands you. It widens you. It stretches you. It gives you an opportunity that you never had before. You're going to learn things you would have never learned. You are never the same. You are never the same when you go through a door that God has sent. He he can send you a door for ministry. He brings an open door. When I was uh, still a teenager, just a few years back. I just want to see if y'all are there. Okay. When I was a teenager and God touched me and, and came into my life and I had a powerful experience with Jesus, powerful experience with his spirit. And I fell in love with Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. I fell in love with Jesus. How do you love somebody you can't see? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By being converted, by being saved, though having not seen him, yet you love him. And I fell in love with Jesus. And I was just worshiping Jesus. I learned how to play guitar so I could sit in my little efficiency apartment and sing God is so good to Jesus. I believe that I personally made heaven sick of kumbaya. Because I played he is Lord, God is so good and kumbaya over and over again. Tears streaming down my face because he changed my life. I had no idea. The Bible study I was going to, the man who was leading it came to me one night and said, I'm going to go to medical school, Jeff, and I really believe the Lord has tapped my heart to tap you to take this Bible study. And all of a sudden there's a door. Here's a door. I didn't look for it. I didn't, I I, I was, as a matter of fact, it terrified me because I had stage fright. Yes, I did. I know I'm up here, but I had stage fright. My lower lip would shake. My eyes would twitch. I'd turn red in the face. I was terrified to speak to anybody more than four or five people. And look what he did to me now. Yeah. But watch this. It was, it was a door. And I knew it was a door. And what was God saying? I'm opening a door. I'm giving you a door of opportunity to walk through it. And I went home and I prayed. And the Lord said, do it. I walked through it. And having walked through that door, I never looked back and I've been doing the same thing ever since. It changed my life. It was a life-changing door. When God opens a door, you're never going to be the same. When God gives you a door, take it. It can be an open door for employment. You pray and you pray and you pray. Say, oh God, I need a job, I need a job. 
And you go knocking, seeking, knocking, asking. You go looking and door after door is shut. Let me tell you what I've learned about shut doors. The day will come, you'll thank God for those shut doors. Because if God shuts a door, if God shuts a door, it wasn't for you. Now, I've argued with God about shut doors. Lord, I know that's my door. No, that's not your door. But, but Lord, it looks right. It's not, not your door. But it feels right. It's not your door. But it seems right. It's not your door. It's my ideal door. It's not your door. I'm shutting it. And you look back and you go, thank God. I didn't walk through that door. Have you ever been to a high school reunion? I'm so glad there's name tags. Because without a name tag, I don't know who they are. Everybody has changed. And here comes that one that you just knew was your door. And you take one look and you say, thank you, Jesus. Now, you ladies, same thing. You thought he was it. And God shut that door. And then there's a high school reunion a couple of decades down the road. And he comes up. You don't even know who he is. But for the name tag, you say, thank you, Jesus. But when God opens the door, we need to learn to take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians. He'll open a door for a godly friendship. He'll open a door for a relationship that is godly. He opens a door. He's a door opener. He's a way maker. He makes a way where there isn't one. He opens a door where there wasn't one. He makes the, the impossible possible. We need to learn to walk through those doors. He, he said to Philadelphia, I've opened a door for you. The Greek could actually read, a door having been opened already. The door is already open. And you know what we do? We miss open doors. Uh, I do. I've missed so many open doors. Uh, particularly, I'll tell you this, in soul winning, how easy it is to miss open doors. You know, you're, you're at that store and you're in such a hurry to get out of there and get in your car and get home and beat the traffic. Uh, you don't notice the hurt on the face of the cashier. And she or he, they were ready for the gospel. If we discern the door. If we had discerned the door. It could be an open door to minister to somebody. A brother or a sister that calls you and they are distressed. And, but you're watching that show, NCIS. <laughs> Boy, I hit a nerve there. You're watching that show, and you want to get back to it? I'll tell you where my mother is bad about this. My little mother just turned 99. Yeah, I know. And she's going all the time. But if I call her during a baseball game... It's over. Jeff who? I, can, I, I know I don't have her. Mother, it's me. And I hear, you know, the crowd in the background and somebody hit the baseball. And, and I know I've half got her attention. What are you doing, Mom? You're watching baseball, aren't you? Well, yeah. Who is it? Well, you know, it's my favorite team, the Rangers. 99. She should be a sports commentator. 
She knows all the teams, all the names. She, she'll tell you who needs to be traded, who needs to be kept. And, and I'll say, Mom, you're tuned out. Oh, I know. I'm sorry, Jeffrey, but they're, they, they got to make this play. If they don't make this play, they're going to lose this game. And I say, okay, I'll let you go. I'll call you later. But see, she missed a door. But I do too. And so we, we say to this person that calls all distressed, yeah, yeah, yeah. We give them a couple of formulaic Christian statements. You know, God's got this. And we let them go to get back to our show. We miss a door. We miss a door. And again, I got to tell you, missing the door that Jesus sends for you to be saved, the opportunity to be saved. I know everybody in here more than likely is saved, at least most. But what an opportunity, what a sacred moment when God comes down and brings somebody right up to you to share Jesus. And it's your door. It's your door. I was sitting in juvenile home 16 years old, never heard the gospel. God sent a Baptist preacher with three young people with guitars. My guard came to my cell and said, you want to come hear some people talk to you about Christianity? I didn't even know what it was. I said, you mean Christmas? (laughs) No, Christianity. But I would have gone to watch a clown show to get out of the cell. So I went and here's the door. He, he just quoted John three sixteen. Here's the door. And look what was beyond that door. Oh my. Look, look at the power of that door. <laughs> I'm going one way. I go through the door. I'm going another way. I'm going, I'm lost. Go through the door, I'm found. I'm blind, go through the door, I see. I'm dead, go through the door, I'm alive. Watch this. I'm hell bound, go through the door, I'm heaven bound. The power of a door. The power of a door. Jesus looked at Jerusalem one day and he wept and he said this, how I wish today that you of all people, Jerusalem, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. You know, the one day it'll be too late. Now it's too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes because you did not know the time when God came to save you. You didn't see the door. Second, that I learned from Philadelphia, and I'll wind up with this. We learned from Philadelphia, they didn't let weakness stop them. Now I'm going to talk straight to you and straight to me. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me. We're living in hard times, tough times. A lot of people feel like they're fainting on the inside. It's trying times. Just take the trials of the culture, the increasing persecution against the church. Um, used to be, if you said you were a pastor, it was honorable. 
Now when I say it in a crowded elevator, everybody quits talking. It's like, oh, oh, one of those. Oh. You'd be on a crowded elevator and talk about how beautiful Buddha is, and everybody's, yeah. On a crowded elevator, talk about how beautiful Jesus is, and they're pushing buttons to get out. Okay. But they didn't let weakness stop them. They didn't let uh, limited resources stop them. They didn't let limitations stop them. The Bible says you have little strength. I'm noticing you have little strength Yet you obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Now here's the sense about this church. The sense of this church is they had passed through some kind of a great trial. Something that was really devastating. Some persecution maybe. Maybe it was one of these earthquakes. So common to the region. Don't know. Maybe their numbers had greatly depleted for some reason. Don't know. They have a little strength left. The implication is they used to be a lot stronger. But now they got a little strength. There's a little strength left. And in that straightened, tightened situation and context, they still would not deny his name and they would not let go of his word. So what did Jesus say? He says, because I've seen your faithfulness, I'm going to open a door for you. That's why I'm telling you, you may feel like today you're depleted. You're going on fumes. You're going on yesterday's blessing. You're going on the residue of yesterday's strength. You feel like you're dragging. Some of you dragged in here today. Pastor Jeff better preach me up. (laughs) Ronnie better sing me up because I'm down. We're we're in depleting kind of culture Sucks the life out of you. If you don't get with God every day. So Jesus says to them, here's what I'm going to do for you since you've been faithful. Let me give it to you quick. Ready? One, vindication. He said this. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they're Jews and they're not, to come and bow at your feet. Now, who were these, these people that saying they were Jews, they were not? Um, they were followers of Moses, and they tracked uh, the disciples, the apostles, the evangelists, and the churches everywhere. And they would go in to these congregations to undermine the theology of these congregations and tell them, you cannot be saved if you don't mix Moses with Jesus. you got to follow the law and grace. You are, you are not saved by grace through faith alone. But you got to mix Moses with grace. And they would undermine and undercut the message of the gospel. So Jesus said, they say they're Jews and followers of Moses, but they're not real Jews. If they were real Jews, they would believe on me. So look what he says. I'm going to make them acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Vindication. Vindication. Let me tell you, if you stand for what is right, if you stand for what is true, and there's all kinds of people calling you liar, calling you this, calling you that. You hang tough with Jesus and it's all going to come out in the wash. And what is true will rise to the top. Everybody say vindication. 
He said, I'm going to vindicate you in the end. In the end, you're going to be vindicated. Your stand for me is going to be vindicated. Second, relief. He says, you have kept my command to endure patiently. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now, we don't know what the trial was. It was going to be huge. It might have been the persecution that, that railed against the church, that early church. And so many martyrs, so many killed, so many persecuted. Might have been that. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you relief. Vindication and relief. Now, it's not a promise they're never going to be persecuted. They're never going to go through hard times. But it is clearly a word that something major was coming and they were not going to feel the brunt of it. Am I talking to anybody? I know it's hard to understand because we don't know what it was. Might have been the lifespan of the church because this church went on longer than any of the other seven or six because they were six, seven, seven, six. You know what I'm saying? Well, we don't know for sure. We can rest assured that some kind of deliverance came to them from God. A protection. And the last thing, reward. Jesus said, I'm coming soon. Hang on to what you have. That's a song, isn't it? Hold on to what you got. That's secular. But what do we have? We have salvation. We have the Holy Spirit living within. We have the promises of God. We have the Bible. We have one another. We have praise, we have worship, we have all of heaven fighting on our side. If God be for us, who can be against us? We're on the winning team. Hold on to what you have. He said, I'm going to make you a a pillar in the temple of my God. What does that mean? I'm going to make you a strong one in my church. I'm going to write my name on you. What does that mean? Everywhere you go, people are going to know. You're his. Name is ownership. I'm going to put my name on you. I'm going to own you. And people are going to know I own you. You know, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can't hide it. When you're full of Jesus, you can't hide it. You can't mask it. Don't even try. You're glowing in the dark. Amen? Stand up with me, would you? Let me ask you, do you have a little bit of strength today? Do you, do you feel like you are on fumes? I, I get it. Uh, have tri- has some trials hit you that were so hard, they've knocked you for a loop. You're limping. I'll tell you something about your enemy and mine. If the devil can't take you down, he'll take someone down who's going down, takes you down. If the devil can't take you out, he'll take someone out who's going out, takes you out. Because you love them. I was preaching. I was in an exploding church. 
And I was in prayer in my house one day. And I'm being real transparent here. I've never told this. Um, and I was in prayer. And the Holy Spirit suddenly said to me, clear as a bell, get up and go into your son's room. Clear as a bell. So I got up, went down the hall. When it was, and before I even got to his room, I knew I was to open the closet door. And I opened the closet door and there was a box. The Holy Spirit said, open it. I opened it. And there's drugs. And I dropped to my knees. It shattered me. I wept. I shook. I had no idea. And that was the beginning of years of battle with my son in the dark, dark drug world. But I'm supposed to get up and preach. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Try it sometime. I had issues I didn't understand because I had raised him uh, in the word. I prayed over him every night. I, I did not understand. It rattled not my faith in Christ as Savior, but my faith in what I'd been taught on how to raise Christian kids. I went through that. And the devil tried to take me out by taking him out. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is I'm telling you our enemy fights nasty. He's a dirty devil. He fights nasty. It almost killed me. It almost, it almost did take me out. Years of it. Now, I want to tell you that today, he's clean as a whistle. Amen. Yeah. But I guarantee you, there was a time, I didn't know if he was dead or alive. And I had to believe the promises of God over my children. Now, have you been attacked? Because someone you know and love is under attack. I want you to come into the altar, even if that's not you. If you're, if you're going on fumes, I want you to come into the altar. If you're struggling, if you're saying, man, I just need the touch of God today. I want you to come into this altar. If the devil has attacked you in a way that has just knocked you sideways, I want you to come into the altar. All these people, I tell you, I understand. I do. And by the way, my son would be fine with me telling you that story. I would never tell that if he wasn't okay with it. But boy, it was hard. Oh, mercy, it was hard. It was so hard. But God brought, I'm still up here. But boy, he tried to take me out with that. And you know what? The devil 
is not out to make something go bump in the night or give you a flat tire. When you get a flat tire, don't say, oh, the devil, the devil didn't give you a flat tire. That's not what he does. No, he goes for your faith. He wants your faith. He wanted my faith. And he didn't get it. Amen. But I want to pray for every one of you. I want you to lift your hands to the Lord. God bless you. I love you in Jesus. And everybody in the congregation, let's pray because there's people fighting for their life. There's people fighting for their faith. There's people fighting to be able to stay in the race. There's people fighting to believe God. So Lord, in Jesus' name, we thank you that this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And though the devil comes after it, even as you said about Peter, the devil has come to sift you like wheat. But I pray that your faith does not fail. So Lord, we just give to you. I want everybody down here to say, Lord, I give you my faith. And I thank you. It will survive. And it will thrive. And it will grow. And it will not be taken out. Because you're the beginning of my faith. And the end of my faith. And the fashioner of my faith. Lord, I thank you for keeping me in the victory that is in Jesus. I give to you my loved one that is out there struggling under the attacks of Satan, deceived, in darkness, that you would touch them, speak to them, break through on them, and like the prodigal son, bring them back to the Father's house in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord praise. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All I can do is tell you what I went through, and that's what I went through. And it was probably six to seven years. But I went through it. And came out on the other side. Matter of fact, turning point is a result of it. This church, there'd be no church if I hadn't made it through that. Amen? Amen. So take heart. Take heart. Take heart. Amen. Amen.